0: Good afternoon and welcome to Everyday Law. I am your host, Bob Clark. As always, any of the opinions expressed on this show are not the opinions of Howard County Community College, its staff, employees, and students. And also, insofar as any legal issues come up on this show, it is not intended to provide legal advice for specific legal situations. If you need a lawyer, it is imperative you see one, convey all of the facts of your situation, and get sound legal advice. We're taking a little bit of a detour on our road through everyday law today to bring in someone else, Peter Coddington, who is here in his capacity as an entrepreneur. Welcome to the show, Peter.
1: Thank you. Glad to be here, Bob. And as always, a great disclaimer there with your profession of being a lawyer in the beginning. It was, you covered all the bases. You know, it's, lawyers should do that. <laughs>
0: Tell us a little bit about your educational background and stuff. I advertise you as an entrepreneur and I'll get to that, but give... People, a little idea where you came from and what you did before you got into business.
1: Sure. Probably the most interesting thing is that I uh, founded and started tech companies, but I have a liberal arts education, which is rare. And I would encourage anybody who has a liberal arts education, history, English, or anything like that, that you can become part of the
0: tech boom. That is what my daughter is presently doing.
1: Yeah, that's right. We were discussing that. It's exactly right. So, I mean, a lot of liberal arts trained people are a little intimidated with all the Silicon Valley talk and things like that to not handle a computer or know how a computer works. And it's really not that complicated at a high level to know how it works. And so the point is liberal arts people can do computer work. But in terms of the background, you know, from the New York area, went to school at Northwestern. Wildcats? You go Wildcats. You're, you're go wildcats. Uh, you 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 also have an affinity towards Chicago, Bob. So went to school out there. Went into initially the business of uh, I've always been a salesman primarily, and so sold taking publications from McGraw Hill and putting them out to the public digitally, so through websites and through electronic delivery when they were still print. I'm aging myself. This is 88, sure, sure. early 90s. So
0: how much resistance to, was there to that initially?
1: You know, the most of the resistance
0: was from
1: the publishers themselves because they were afraid they wouldn't make money on the copyright because there was less ways to control the copyright when it came off print and started to become electronic. But as is the case with most businesses, they find a way to both capitalize on a trend and still do the controls. So I don't think there was as much resistance on people reading things on a computer screen back then because they could always print it out if they really wanted to feel the paper, and in many cases, they did.
0: So is that where you – I mean, did you have any tech skills going into that, or is that where you first started to accumulate?
1: Them? Uh, I had zero tech skills. I, I really was a telemarketer who sold subscriptions to dial-up baud systems. If you remember, 300 baud, 1,200 baud. This is also – dating myself, but this is how electronic messages would be sent out. As a matter of fact, when ARPANET was created and the the internet was just in its infancy, it took three days to send an email message from Washington, D.C. to Buffalo, New York, for one of McGraw-Hill's first email recipients of an industry newsletter. Three days. Wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. That would have been like 93.
0: So at some point in time, you wandered away from that and got into something else. What was that?
1: Well, I went to another publishing house in Rockville called Phillips Publishing and did the same work there, which was then putting most of this data onto websites and then selling access to the websites to get to the data. And a lot of this was industry trade information for airports and airlines or for other other industry items. Then the internet craze started with the IPOs. And like most aspiring people, I wanted to try and make as much money as possible, and so I went for the startups and started a a series of startups. You Um, yourself started startup companies? No, worked for them mostly Uh, out of the Silicon Valley and out of Utah and the Silicon. What
0: did you bring to the table if you didn't have technological skills?
1: Sales. Okay. So uh, even today, with uh, some of the VCs I'm working with in Baltimore that are trying to grow technical companies, for the primary issue in building and creating a company is customer acquisition and how to sell them and get customers. Because any new idea will not survive as a company without customers. So at the end of the day, it's how you communicate what the new idea or new technology does to get people to give you money to grow the company.
0: So what's the secret to that?
1: you have to understand the technology you're selling as to what problem it'll solve which has very little to do with the, with understanding the technology it has more to do with understanding the problems people have
0: okay so would you learn about the problems from the people or would you learn about the problems for the company that was manufacturing things? And did those things, too, always kind of link? Never. That's okay. a, it's a good point. Yeah.
1: Very often in the latter where technological gearheads come up with a great idea, they think it's a great idea because it's theirs. But they are usually out of touch with whether it's marketable Okay. and whether it's needed. And what problem would it really solve? And many times a new company brings a technology to market with an intention to do something, but it ends up it would be far better to solve a different problem. Okay. So, for example, there's a company in Baltimore that I'm helping out. It's run by a very brilliant young lady whose name I don't recall right now. She's from uh, Michigan It's
0: the joys of middle age, Peter.
1: (laughs) But anyway, here's the story. The short of it is she developed a medical device that can recycle your blood. So if if you are internally bleeding, it will take your blood and recycle it so you don't have to wait for a blood bank. You can use your own blood, which is safer. No
0: transfusion.
1: No transfusion. But, you know, to get this approved by the FDA for human use is 10 years, she'll go broke. So we came up with a different idea, and we went to veterinarians. No regulation, $8 billion a year in this country spent on dog on pet food. People spend a lot of money on their pets without any sort of regulation so her business is booming selling to vets and maybe someday she'll be able to sell to humans
0: so who came up with that idea
1: we helped her we sat down and talked to her she really it was a great idea and she was stuck in regulatory environment and you know the veterinarian business is huge and zero as you know from a legal standpoint a lot of this comes back to legal you know bowser dies on the operating table what judge is really gonna grant a big lawsuit on that you know So that's a market, and people spend money there.
0: Someday there will be dog lawyers, don't worry.
1: (laughs) Maybe there will be.
0: (laughs) So at some point in time, you got out of working for other people and started doing your own businesses. What? brought that about.
1: So, the Silicon Valley as an establishment. I worked for them for 10 years. And
0: Silicon Valley meaning different entities in Silicon Valley.
1: Yeah, like quite a few interesting companies and I think I can like? I can mention them. The the one that's most famous is Palantir. Yeah. Very well-known company, worked there for a while. Another one was Insight Software, which was bought by SAP. Those were the two most successful. Now, a long list of what you would call ones that didn't work out. Whizbang Labs went Whiz Bang Pop, you know, didn't make it. And a number of others. You so, know.
0: So how did that affect you when you were working for an entity that w- didn't work out? Well, the thing is, if you can sell and you have a
1: reputation as a salesperson, people come and actually hire you. Okay. So it's really not hard once you're proven to be able to sell new technologies to go anywhere you want.
0: So, hypothetically, if I'm a Howard County Community College student and I have a desire to learn to sell and make use of my skills, what do I need to learn or what do I need to do to cultivate that? I would
1: say, well, the first thing is sales is a dirty four-letter word, depending on whether you count Do you
0: have a euphemism for it?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of made-up things where people call themselves account reps and business development this. And I think it's because it's sort of Really scoffed at and looked down upon, maybe unfairly so, but it's impossible to do away with the image common in our culture of the used car salesman in the loud checkered jacket. Sure. So I think most students would have to first come to terms with it's really not quite that type of profession. It's really what you're doing is you're matching its solutions and things to what people need. And there is some real honor and value to that. Yes, you get paid. Yes, there's commissions. Yes, there's quotas. These things happen, you know, and you have to do them. But at the heart of it, you really are finding the people that need what you have.
0: So how do you learn to do that? I think... I mean, is there something innate in people that they're automatically going to be better salespeople? Or, you know, what do you think about all that? You know,
1: so, you know, there's all those books you can read and seminars Dale Carnegie. Dale Carnegie. I never took a one. Okay. I never took a one. I don't think you need anything more than to just believe in what... Your product. Okay. And more importantly, believe that the problem you're solving is an important one to solve. If you believe that the problem your product solves is important, then your heart will, you know, find out all the sort of machinations and arguments that you need to articulate the reasons
0: that people need to buy it. So there are lots of unsuccessful salespeople out there, too, though.
1: Yes, there are. The census, in the U.S. Census, the number one reported profession above all others is sales. So there are more salespeople by profession in the United States than any other. So there are a great deal of unsuccessful salespeople. And, and they might be unsuccessful because they don't want to be there, and it's just where you end up. Okay. A lot of times, I think sales is a place that people end up in, right?
0: Now, did you know you wanted to be a salesperson when you got your liberal arts degree?
1: <laughs> I didn't because I had the same image that we just talked about. Okay, you know the cheese ball. Who wants to do that?
0: That's a very handsome checkered coat you're wearing today. Yeah, too. thank you, man. I, I had jo- it pressed for the event. Okay, <laughs> the joys of radio.
1: The joys of radio. So the reason I went into it was I was 26 at the time and I was really going nowhere. Nowhere fast anyway. And my father suggested I do it. And I said, I did not want to be a cheese ball or anything like that. And I then I thought about it more. And I thought about what I was always good in college was I could always mooch a cigarette and didn't care if people told me to drop dead and I never bought a pack. And I thought, well.
0: So you're suggesting that Howard County Community <laughs> Colleges start students start mooching cigarettes from people, right? No,
1: no. I'm just okay. saying you, you asked by way of my journey. Okay. I'm not endorsing cigarette smoking.
0: All right. <laughs> Can I di- digress for a second? Sure. Isn't it true you were a disc jockey? I was, yes, for a while. Can you yep. tell us briefly? I will return to the topic at hand, but I thought this was an interesting aside, that even if you end up being a disc jockey, you're not doomed.
1: <laughs> no, you're not. And, and the highest paid salary I got was thirteen dollars a year at one of the stations. I did it in high school. I was fortunate enough that I had a sort of a privileged suburban upbringing in Westport, Connecticut, suburban New York, and they had a radio station in high school and learned to do it there. And then went on to Northwestern, and they had a radio station, and always liked doing sports announcing and news, rock and roll, rock and roll. Did some DJ country
0: music in California, as I recall.
1: Country music in California, and then uh, telephone talk, which is not dissimilar than what we're doing here, is a fantastic format. And what did you talk about? I talked about President Eisenhower. No, no, no. I didn't do politics as much as I would do comedy. We did, uh, uh, one station in in California was so poor, we didn't have giveaways, but behind it was a volcano that blew up about 70 years ago, so there was a lot of uh, lava stone lying around, and the station's name was Kava Country, K-A-V-A, and the lava rhymes with kava, so we gave away Kava Lava? a, A Lava Memorial Limestone for a trivia contest.
0: And people embraced that?
1: (laughs) Until a nine-year-old girl came in who answered who sunk the Bismarck, which was pretty impressive, actually, and with her father and got the rock and said, this is just a rock, don't I get a poster or an album or something, to which we we discontinued the promotion.
0: (laughs) Did you find being a disc jockey was something that was helpful to you in your subsequent endeavors as a salesperson? Probably. I mean, learning how to articulate
1: and talk to people and listen to people. Listening is a big skill for sales, I think. Extremely important.
0: Which is more important, listening or talking? Listening. Okay.
1: And I think listening to not necessarily exactly what people are saying, but maybe what they're meaning. Many times people don't say exactly what they're, they don't know. That, or they might not know how to say it. It's not that they're hiding things, but it could mean other things, and you have to sort of maybe look beyond what they're saying to see what they might really be thinking a bit.
0: Okay, so we return to your ultimately leaving Silicon Valley. Sort of is that true? Yeah. And what inspired you to do that?
1: Software is made in the West, but bought in the East. Okay. I said I like Maryland. I said why can't we build it in the East as well? And I and about when was this? Two thousand nine. Okay. Maybe 2008. I made miss. I went to UMBC, which is just a great Go Retrievers. Go Retrievers. Nothing against HCC, but they, you know, they have a very good computer department there and they have a they were just starting a cyber program that I helped them start. And they have a lot of intelligent young
0: well, So let me people. let me
1: touch on that a little bit. Yeah.
0: So you don't have the technological skills or the know-how, but you're helping people start cyber programs?
1: Yes. Wasn't that difficult? I mean, Really, when it comes to cyber, I know everyone probably gets freaked out by cyber. But you've, you've known me many years I other have. than this show. And you know I'm not. I mean, I have trouble with my password on my iPhone. So cyber really is nothing more than nefarious people stealing your data off a device. And there's all sorts of ways to combat it and things like that. But all you really need to know is which ones work and which ones don't. You don't need to know how it happens.
0: So, so how would you discern that, though?
1: Well, you hire people. Okay. Clearly, you hire people. Yeah, you don't do it on your own. And you find people that are smart. You can tell if somebody's smart and knows what they're doing,
0: sort of, at least a little bit. Yeah. So you went to UMBC, and did you work at the campus? Did you study? What did you do there? I called up a very smart
1: person there, and I forget her name again, she was a provost, and I said, are you offering cyber courses?" And she said, no, but we'd like to start, would you help us? That's how things usually start, would you help? And a lot of times people say, no, I'm not getting paid, but that's sort of short-sighted, you really should help, a little bit. I'm here. You're here, exactly, (laughs) exactly. And so from those things, sometimes good things happen, so I just helped her get other people from other government agencies that were nearby, you used your imagination to know
0: where they know stuff. So how did you get hooked up with all those people in the first place? In other words, one of the things I understand individually what you did at UMBC, but there's a bigger picture of making connections in your life, whether professionally, personally, and that's something that's an important component that, you know, maybe it's a function of your personality, but that is something that it's helpful to have young people understand better how you reach out, how you make connections, how you network. Right. And I presume you did a good deal of that.
1: And that's how I did it. It was under the auspices of selling. So if you are selling, you are knocking on doors figuratively or literally, whether it's sending an email, whether it's putting a post on LinkedIn or Twitter, you are soliciting, you are putting yourself out there. And, you know, one great thing about our society is it's okay for people to promote and put out. You know, a lot of people don't want to return and talk to you about it, but it's okay to do. And so through doing that, that's how I made all those connections. And you know what? At the end of the day, most people are lonely and they, w- they want usually somebody to solicit and talk to them. And maybe it's an agenda to sell a product. But you know what? In the course of selling that product, you're usually probably talking about the Redskins or the Ravens or the Weather or Sailing or the Boat or... Terps. Terps. You're talking about anything. So, you know, it's really just about communicating with other people. And if your agenda open to them, they know what you're doing. They're not going to put you down for it. So that's how I made those friends that I made.
0: So would you tweet about products or would you tweet about ideas? Would you, you know, what what kind of mechanism worked best for you
1: so when i was coming up the social media thing was still new but in recent years with social media i used to i did a lot of it on the phone cold calling but now with social media i think cold calling has changed as a solicitor so how would you know who to call you go to the conferences and the trade shows That's what i was coming to that
0: that it's a broader brush of what you got to do you know yeah so how many conferences or trade shows would you go to
1: man in 35 years i've gone to one a week
0: Really? Yeah, that's a lot.
1: It is a lot.
0: I'm a little too lazy for that. Yeah, no, it's a lot. And you know what?
1: They aren't bad. I uh, yeah, you people walk by your table or your booth, and you say, so nice would you things.
0: have a table with products, or would you, what would you yeah, have?
1: Table with products, brochures, handing out pens, yo-yos, whatever. You know, those little tchotchkes. What did say? what
0: tchotchkes were the best <laughs> in terms of popularity?
1: Oh, usually a ball that would light. Anything for people's pets are always a big seller. Pens can't go wrong with a but pen. But pets
0: do not use pens.
1: No, but everybody owns a pet. You know how it is. But what do you people give pets, them? just out of interest? Oh, a little chewy toy or, you know, I don't know. You know, these little tchotchkes. You've seen these things. I don't know
0: that I have.
1: Really? Yeah. Actually, I can remember once you and I went to an auto show and you were amazed I watched the guy do the pitch at his table. I don't know if you remember that. Or I have no You were like, you really writer. get into that stuff, don't you? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do. I like to see how people try and you know, it's an art to communicate something without turning people off.
0: So you drink in what other people you see do. Yeah, I do. So if you go to the auto show, you see them. You yeah. go to conference. I mean, so when you go to these conferences, are there lectures and stuff that you attend to? Or are you there just to kind of be before your public?
1: Uh, no, I would go to the lectures, A, to learn. You know, to learn what they're talking about. And B, depending on what they said, I go at, up to the at the end. This is important for young people. At the end of the lecture, be one of the people that queues up to talk to the talker.
0: Nerd. What? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. That and get, and get, Chris, and get, you can't say things like
1: that. <laughs> and get and get the card. <laughs> and get the card and the phone number and the email. That's, that's Would you then answer.
0: follow up with them? Oh, yeah. Okay. But then you need to have some sort of... I enjoyed your lecture in California last week, and I had some additional questions about this software or something.
1: Like that, or maybe something a step further where you'd say, I was fascinated with how you discussed the algorithm of this and that and the other thing that it would solve this problem or that problem. We have sort of a different view on that. Is there time we can exchange ideas?
0: But you You probably didn't understand the algorithms at all, right? (laughs) Not at all. So would you just <laughs> BS your way through that? There's a lot of that I'm the, you know Or would course. you have somebody who knew something talk to you about it so you sounded sensible?
1: No, what I would do is if it looked like I was going to get in deep over my head, I'd have that person on the phone with me.
0: Ah That's
1: called the sales engineer.
0: I got you. That's
1: a critical part of the tech salesperson's arsenal is this what's called a sales engineer, which is that's the the geeky nerdy guy who can do this stuff. And increasingly, that person's starting to become the salesperson on their own as the industry well, I mean, it would
0: seem to me that's what you would want as employees, so you didn't pay Peter Coddington and pay the, the whiz-bang Yeah, because
1: it's two kids, right. Yeah. But the problem is that first kid that's the tech person just can't carry the water in a conversation, you know?
0: So you would suggest to tech people that they expend more effort learning how to communicate in a social way and learning how to listen to other people in order to enhance their battery of skills.
1: Absolutely. Those people, if you look at any of the Silicon Valley top executives, that's who those people are. Okay. They're as adroit, humanitarianly human possible as they are tech. Okay. When you can do both, you really are in, a, in the catbird seat.
0: So there was a point in time when you were at a conference and a preeminent Washington Post reporter happened to be there and are we allowed to say names or no, no? if you want to okay. sure yeah. i mean they reported on me i don't see why i
1: can't report on that they
0: absolutely <laughs> did and of course in my mind you know in a little bit like the, what our present president thinks any publicity is good publicity yeah so seeing you know you on the front page of the washington post and mentioning your your little booth and yeah and the tchotchkes you had yeah. i think that was when you had the pyramids with the spinning pens on
1: yeah top. that's right that was the tchotchke at that show one of as we just discerned thousands of shows so Yeah, this is a show – well, so the product was software called natural language processing software that can read words and classify nouns as they relate to verbs, which is just a long-winded way to say that it's teaching the computer how to read sentences so that people don't have to read them all.
0: And And what would the use of that be? This would be used by large
1: institutions, banks, government agencies, healthcare organizations that just have too much documentation. They don't have enough people to read it. And if the computer reads it, it can classify it and store it in a certain way.
0: Through the nouns.
1: Through the nouns.
0: Wow. Natural language processing,
1: yes. Is that still in use today? It is. It's uh, it's one step beyond a keyword search, which is what Google does. Okay. So at some point, Google will start to put more NLP into the search engine that consumers uses, but that's not the case yet. Still keyword-based with ands or ors that connect.
0: I mean, I do have the impression overall that... An awful lot of the government surveillance of things is done through processes similar, probably more sophisticated than that, but that, you know, whether it's telephone calls or communications or emails or Google searches or whatever, that the government in its efforts to combat terrorism and that sort of thing is utilizing that sort of thing regularly.
1: Yeah. So I can't comment specifically on what they do, but I can theorize. Okay. And, you know, what it comes down to is that since no one can read anybody's mind— not yet, okay? That means the only way to really understand intent for anybody is through communication. All right. That's why it's so important that it's surveilled. Now there are two forms of communication. There's words which can be text or audio cuz audio can be transferred to text. Sure. And then there's also just video. So it, video without pictures is also a form of understanding what's going on. And and natural language processing on video where it understands pixels and how pixels look can detect the behavior of a gate of somebody walking to see if they're about to steal something so that's another area of technology that's quite interesting but in terms of just the text which is audio or words yes there's a lot of ways to read all the text and make meaning of it and then discern it more quickly so the way to look at this is if you have a whole lot of things to read reports and there's a hundred people that need to read it if i'm person a in this corner and read something about somebody and i'm person c in that corner and read something else that's about that person there's no way i'd ever connect right so you have to have a centralized brain or computer read it all which has to be a computer because humans can't read that much so there's no way to correlate those different nouns and verbs unless you put it all or names or names
0: so anyway (laughs) you're out there selling a product of that ilk right and how many years ago would you say this was Ten years ago. No, more than that. Fifteen. Fifteen years ago. And I forget, was it Karen DeYoung who was who bumped into you from the Post? I forget which of the post reports. Dana Priestley. Oh, Dana Priestley, even no offense to Karen DeYoung, but okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Preeminent security reporter for the Washington Post. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And more or less the long and story of it is, because I don't want to get too deeply into it, but I will I will talk about it. Is they they well at the time, she she wrote a three-part piece. She was telling everybody, she was doing an investigation on how small companies deserve to make as much money as large companies. That okay. was what she told people. Sounds reasonable. And which doesn't sound as threatening. And then she collected quotes which were actually not true. They were- Even from you. Even from me. Yeah. My quote was not a, a accurate. Tr- it was not accurate at all. And then just before publishing it, she it turned out the article was not about- small companies versus big companies it was really about the whole industry of you know what the government does and then you can take an opinion on that one way or another which I don't really want to get into but then uh misquoted to make people look good or bad and mostly bad and I confronted her and she said that you did say that and this is what I'm gonna run and I said I did not it's not true, and she ran it anyway. And I wasn't a big enough. My my part in that article was very very small, so I wasn't a big enough. But it was it was damning in in certain
0: regard. Did you find that that was to your detriment from a professional standpoint?
1: You know what? It's the kind of thing you'll never know. Okay. Because, because of the community you're yeah, working with. Exactly. Interesting. But that company did not make it. So I've had startups that have not made it, and startups that have.
0: So, we're getting ready to end the show here shortly. I think we got about three minutes or so. So, we need to do a wind down from starting your businesses to ultimately their demise and, in some cases, their success and and your selling them to other people. Can you tell them a little bit about how all of that works? So someday when they have followed your advice and gotten into sales and learned how to listen and learned how to speak and they want to get out of the business, what do they do?
1: So I would say you really should start a company that is passionate for you because you believe it's going to solve a societal or a personal problem that's going to help. That will drive you because it's a very tough thing to do to start a company. Did you have to work a lot? A ton. A ton. I mean, we're talking 100 hours a week. Be ready. Yeah. Yeah. Be ready. 60 is a slow week. Okay. Uh, But if you really believe in it and you like what you're doing, uh, do it. And there is financial reward. And the financial reward is this. Somebody bigger will buy your company. Okay. And if somebody bigger buys your company, that's a big pile of cash that you get. So it, it does follow the Americana dream, and you do what you like to do. and. You're not stuck in a uh, nine-to-five job where you're wondering why you're going there every day. The beauty of running your own company is you know why you're there. The bad thing about running a company is it's your company and every you're responsible for everything. And sometimes that nine-to-five job looks kind of appealing from some standpoint. But
0: you have to make it. a lot of sacrifices in your personal life.
1: Right. That's right. But, you know, for I looked around the student union here today, a lot of bright people, you know, walking around. I would encourage if there's something you know you like to do, or you, there's something, there's a burning thing in your stomach about fixing something, you know, whatever it is. And there you can figure out a business to do that. That will carry you
0: and make you wealthy. If you can handle getting there. If you can handle it. I mean, you put there. in a lot of years of a lot of hard work to yep. get to the finish line. Yeah. So ultimately, you sold your company or companies. And what are you doing now?
1: I'm trying to reprogram myself into a, uh, some leisure time, which is not, it, which is challenging.
0: <laughs>
1: I find myself flailing around. Going to, I went to a Ghostbusters conference yesterday. I, 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 that, that's where I really hit rock bottom. When you say
0: Ghostbusters, you're talking about the movies, or are you talking about people who want to arrest ghosts, or what yeah, are you talking yeah,
1: about? yeah, yeah, which yeah, one? Yeah, it was well, I mean, it was here in Howard County, and it was, it was. I mean, it was interesting for the people there, but in my flailing around to find an interest you know i walked out of there thinking i have more name tags to more things that are going on now than i can possibly you know i'm 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 to answer your question i'm looking around for The things that will keep me busy.
0: So if I could make a suggestion to you. Please. This is based upon my most recent guest, entrepreneur Peter Coddington. He suggests that you find something that's a burning desire in your life (laughs) and that you put your shoulder to the (laughs) grindstone. And do it. and, And I think maybe doing that on a volunteer basis, you could do a tremendous amount of good in Howard County, in Maryland, in the United States, wherever it is, by simply taking the Coddington formula and using it.
1: I will take that advice.
0: Thank you very much for your appearance today, Peter. I hope to have you back when you have found that burning philanthropic uh, desire.
1: Okay, that sounds good. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me, Bob. It's a great show. Thank you.
0: This has been Everyday Law. I'm your host, Bob Clark. Farewell. Connect with us.
1: We are Dragon Digital Radio.